0: Best of Times Radio Hour live on 1017 FM and 710 Keel, a show dedicated to seniors and boomers in Northwest Louisiana. Here's your host, Gary Kaligas.
1: Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Coligas, the publisher of the Best of Times, the only news magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. I do thank you for tuning in to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple and Android devices. We do thank AERP Louisiana and a bearish and country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about the Alzheimer's Revolution. Yes, a revolution. So stay to this show for some very beneficial information. It is Saturday, November the 18th, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in wonderful Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been prerecorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Don't forget to pick up your uh, wonderful uh, November, December issue of the best of times at some of our distribution locations. Again, uh, you can always go online to visit. If you don't find one of our printed issues on our at, at our distribution centers, again, our website of course is thebestoftimesnews.com. You can view current and past issues of our magazine. In addition, you can view the 2023 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. By the way, we are working on our 2000. 24 edition of Silver Pages right now. In addition, you can, on our website, you can listen to previously broadcast radio shows of the Best of Times Radio Hour. Each and every month, the Best of Times also sends out a TBT newsletter via email. It provides you with links to our current issue, via so you can read it online. Also, you can link to our Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, it has additional educational articles, discount coupons, a contest, and, of course, news that you can use. Join the many thousands who are receiving our free TBT newsletter via your email address, and you can go to our secure Internet site at w excuse me, HTTP colon backslash backslash teeny T-I-N-Y dot C-C backslash T-B-T newsletter. And you can subscribe. There's no charge to receive this newsletter. Join the many thousands that have already done so. Congratulations to our $100 gift certificate winner to Ernest Arlene who is a regular subscriber of the T-B-T newsletter. And of course, a reader of the best of times magazine. That was Miss. Rhonda Stevens. We'll be right back with more information, but now we word to our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Ebert Stunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep
0: dealer. The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM and 710
1: Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Eber's Tuning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas. I do thank you for taking time to listen to our radio show today. Joining me on my show today is a very special guest, is Mr. Joseph Keon, who is a preventative medicine specialist. He's going to discuss his new book, the Alzheimer's Revolution. So thank you, Joseph, for taking time to join our show today.
2: Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me.
1: So, um, again, thank you for joining us today. What motivated you to write this book? And by the way, it has an interesting title that uh, we've already promoted this a little bit in my area. And I've had listeners wanted, wanted to ask you, what motivated you to write it, and why do you call it a revolution?
2: Well, by the time I sat down to conduct the research for The Alzheimer's Revolution – Four members of my family had developed neurological disease. Wow, and yeah, it was a shocking development, and two of my siblings were diagnosed with young onset cases in their early fifties. So you can imagine my family and I were really concerned, and so I began to question you know what what's going on here, and is there anything that that uh, we're being exposed to or something that we should know about? And so when I began to conduct the research, I basically had two questions in mind. One was, is there anything that an individual can do to lower the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease? And the second question was, is there anything that one can do after a diagnosis to slow the progression of the disease? And I'm pleased to report, as I do in the book, that the answer to both those questions is yes. And, and I discovered um, all sorts of steps that individuals can take uh, to reduce their risk dramatically, uh, not just for um, Alzheimer's disease, but for cognitive decline, what we call age-related cognitive decline, or what we sometimes call MCI mild cognitive impairment, which is often uh, seen as a um, precursor to full dementia. Well, jo- so- well,
1: Joseph, let me just interject in there to my listeners. I know they're all saying, what? Uh, we probably never heard of this book. Well, I, I got a copy of it, and I found it quite fascinating, and that's why I decided to, to reach out to, to, to Mr. Keon here to be on my show because I found it very enlightening, uh, and I've had uh, family members in the past. I wish we had known about some of these things uh, that you mentioned in here. And I, and again, I I highly recommend you pick up a copy. Of, of course, the book is titled Alzheimer's Revolution by Joseph Kion, K-E-O-N, and it's available on Amazon. Uh, and I'm sure other book, various book, booklet outlets. It's very interesting, and I highly recommend you pick a copy. I want to commend you on on writing it and doing all that research. It's it's pretty very comprehensive. I would tell you that. So so let's start Thank off. You. Let's start off and say uh, everyone has heard about it, but do they understand it? Understand the disease of
2: Alzheimer's? I find often that that people don't. I know. That surveys repeatedly show that it's the most feared disease of all, and understandably so. Um, but when you ask people, uh, they'll they'll say, "I understand that there's problems with memory, but they're not well acquainted with how the disease actually manifests and progresses over time." And so, Alzheimer's is one of over 100 different types of dementia that we know about, but it's the most common cause of dementia. It accounts for 70% of all the cases that we see today. And yes, it involves changes in memory, uh, but also in reasoning, in judgment, and um, in one's spatial perception, which is how they see themselves in relation to fixed objects around them. So that is the part of our brain that allows us to navigate, to get around a shopping mall, to Um, get back to our home from the grocery store and things like that. And so that changes as well. And over time, it also um, affects what we call our ability to do our activities of daily living. These are just everyday tasks that you and I take for granted, such as showering, bathing, um, grooming oneself, preparing and eating a meal. And so individuals over time will need increasing assistance with performing those daily tasks. And another thing that people are often not aware of is that in about 30 to 40% of cases, there's also a change in physical ability. So there can be um, changes in one sense of balance and coordination, even the ability to walk safely and stably. And so, um, you know, that's what we typically think of as a as a, um, a movement disorder like Parkinson's disease. So it has some of those same kind of characteristics um,
1: so what are and, some of the what are some of the misconceptions I, I noticed that you you address in your book some of these
2: well, the most important one is that this notion that 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 if one lives long enough they 're bound to develop dementia it's just it 's just part of the process um, and and this is simply not true, even though some people may feel that Um, It's rather common in people of a certain age. The reality is that dementia is not a normal part of aging. And even cognitive decline, some degree of it, we should expect, but not um, serious cognitive decline or what we call mild cognitive impairment. And it's interesting because the Milken Institute uh, performed a survey and they found that about half of American adults believed when they were asked that, it was inevitable that they they expected to go on to develop dementia at some point in their life. And so that's part of the reason why, you know, I named the book The Alzheimer's Revolution. It's truly a <laughs> revolutionary way of looking at the most feared disease that we face. It's oh, okay. not inevitable. And there's a lot that we can do as individuals every day to reduce our risk.
1: And it's on the mainstream, I think, more uh, you hear about it every day on television and radio about alzheimer and alzheimer research, I don't know how much how many research projects i have i've been in healthcare twenty three years ago and it was not well known twenty three years ago that much i mean we it was difficult to get a diagnosis for my home healthcare care nurses to take care of people's alzheimer's i mean it's not as not as easy and I don't think Medicare covered a lot of it, maybe the hospice as well so it's really it's really got the uh, prominent status of of healthcare care and
2: et cetera et cetera right is that true Absolutely. I mean, you're right. Things have changed so much in the last several years. I think there's a kind of a confluence of things that have been happening. We have um, a, a real uptick in funding, which has been an issue for many, many years, just insufficient funding for research. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Just two years ago, there was another $221 million added to um, public fund research. And um, we have people, you know, who are well known. We have Tony Bennett or Robin Williams, Rocco Welsh, Casey Kasem—celebrities, household names—who have uh, gone public and talked about um, their illness. And I think that's put a face on it. Um, it's brought it, to, you know, closer to home for some people. Um, and as you say, the 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 enormous. Uh, trials that are going on now with various pharmaceutical companies who are putting billions and billions literally into these multi-year trials. So we're all kind of following these things in the press, these high stakes trials. How is this going to turn out? Is this going to be the one that really makes a difference? So I think all of that is um, contributing to a higher level of awareness and people paying attention. But there's something else, too, which I um saw happening over the period when we were in the COVID-19 lockdown, when everybody was so distracted by what was happening, how our lives had changed so dramatically. And the uh, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association released a report, which I think few people saw, and it was startling. And it was, they drew upon the data from the 48 million Americans they insure not a small group. No. And they were startled because they saw this big uptick in the number of cases they were diagnosing in increasingly younger people. They saw a 143% increase in wow. those age 55 to 64. They saw a 300% increase in those age 45 to 54. Now, if that's not shocking enough, they saw a 373% increase in the diagnosis of dementia, and specifically Alzheimer's dementia, in people aged 30 to 44 years old. People in the prime of their life. 30s, okay, wow. Yeah, receiving a diagnosis for something that historically we would say you'd hear about in the seventh or eighth decade of life.
1: So in your book you you address many... uh, risk factors. I think everybody needs to know these. I know of some, but let's see uh, which ones that you think that we should all be concerned about.
2: Well, at the top of the list are certainly diet and exercise. We hear that all the time, right? Oh yes, <laughs> Diet and exercise, about everything. but when it comes to the risk for cognitive decline and dementia, these are two of the most potent um, strategies that we can harness to protect ourselves. We're Seeing study after study after study from around the world, showing the same thing over and over again that um, when people address their diet and start um, uh, choosing really healthful foods that are shown to be protective, their risk goes down. We know that uh, when people exercise um, and it not you know be some herculean uh event at the gym we're talking about is something as simple as just going for a walk for 30 minutes a day um five times a week um that it really makes a difference we see risk coming down significantly compared to those who are more um sedentary right. uh, or eating a more you know conventional diet with a lot of processed foods um bringing cholesterol down uh is has been shown there's a relationship between elevated cholesterol. It's not entirely clear why, but when cholesterol levels come down, risk comes down. Um, Diabetes, uh, getting that under control, um, high blood pressure has been shown to have a strong um, risk association. And so, you know, the latest statistics are that roughly half of American adults have elevated blood pressure. So this is something that a lot of us can address. And what's really exciting about it, Gary, is when you look at high blood pressure, for instance, they've performed studies. Scientists have looked at people who um, both get their blood pressure treated by getting on blood pressure lowering medications and those who choose not to. And the ones who do see about a 70% reduction in their risk of going on to develop Alzheimer's wow. disease
1: that's significant that.
2: <laughs> that's yeah, very, yeah. Significant. very significant and it's you know it's one thing we're looking in isolation so as i say when you when you address diet when you address some of these pre-existing conditions when we look at um, we can talk about some of these other things like sleep and social engagement and stuff then it really starts to add up
1: but i but i uh, let's let's continue i there's so much discussion about genetics and gene i mean i've i've done 23 and me and i've done Ancestry.com, whatever it's called, and, and right. to, but uh, they've also they have some markers, and I'm sure that's just some of the markers of the total gene, uh, so I know they're doing a lot of analysis for dementia, and Alzheimer's, and genetics. Is, is it increasing exponentially?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting because that um, those types of uh, home genetic testing services are are really popular right now. And, um, and understandably, and one of the things that they offer, of course, is to tell you whether you carry a risk gene for Alzheimer's disease. And, um, the one concern I have is that, um, without some sort of contextualization or qualification of the report, people might get unnecessarily upset and say, well, you know, I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do here. I'm carrying this gene. So what I always like to tell people is, When it comes to Alzheimer's disease, there's two types of genes that we're looking at. One is deterministic genes, and deterministic genes basically all but guarantee that a disease is going to develop at some point in time. And when it comes to Alzheimer's disease, the three genes that we've identified in that class account for 4 maybe 5% of all the cases that we see. So it's really not as significant as people have come to believe. Now on the other hand, you've got your risk genes, and the most the one that gets the most press, let's say, is called ApoE4. And while it is the strongest known risk gene we're aware of at this time, um, there's very good evidence that individuals who have this gene who make these lifestyle changes that I'm talking about and writing about see their risk go down as well. And it's what's so fascinating about this, Gary, is they've done these um, studies on identical twins because identical twins share the same genome. They have the exact same genes. So if the APOE4 gene is, you know, so much of a controlling factor, then if one twin develops Alzheimer's disease, presumably the other must. Right. Well, it's not the case. When they're male twins, only 40% of the time does the other one go on to develop the disease. And when they're female, only 60% of the time. But now we know that if people harness these strategies and they start you know, add, fortifying their diet with berries and legumes and uh, bright leafy greens and, and, and fruits and vegetables and these, these foods that have these protective compounds in them, when they start moving and becoming active, when they get engaged socially uh, and have a strong social network, as well as other things, address sleep, medications, which we can talk about as well. That all of this uh, seems to be more important than these genes that that so many people are concerned about. So, you know, I think the take-home message on this is. If you find out that you're an APOE4 carrier, it's just all the more reason to make these, you know, adopt these strategies and make it a priority in your life.
1: That's good advice there. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now i work word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the best of times radio while we're here on News Radio 710 Kiel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A Bears tenning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep Dealer.
0: The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keele. And now back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keele.
1: Welcome back to our show, The Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Eber's Standing Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Mr. Joseph Keon, who is a preventive medicine specialist, and he's discussing his new book, The Alzheimer's Revolution. So, thank you, Joseph, for taking time to be on our show today.
2: My pleasure.
1: So we we are discussing, again, his book is available on Amazon. It's called Alzheimer's Revolution. Uh, The author's name, his name is Joseph Kion, K-E-O-N. Highly recommend it. He brings up some startling information that uh, I have not seen in many other publications that I've read and even guests that I've had on this show regarding Alzheimer's. So you need to pick up a copy uh, and uh, read it and use it for yourself or your, your loved ones as well. So we... You talked in your book, and I, I've heard of people on the show discussing that dietary recommendations can help uh, avoiding getting Alzheimer's, and if you have it, possibly reduce the, reduce it in, uh, in, 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 an as, in in aspects of helping you. Right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's numerous large long term studies from all around the world that keep coming up with the same understanding about the critical role that diet plays in both prevention and also in slowing the progression, you know, after a diagnosis. And, um, you know, one of the most important ones that I like to talk about is the Chicago Health and Aging Project. And of course, as the name indicates, it took place in Chicago in in uh, three large, diverse neighborhoods. And the researchers went into these neighborhoods. And they didn't ask the residents to do anything. They didn't ask them to adopt any strategies or change their life at all. No, they just said, we want to find out what you love to eat. What do you cook all the time? What's always on your shopping list when you go to the market? What are your favorite foods? And they compiled these very detailed records for each of these individuals. And then they said, just go on and live your life as you do but they monitored them over many years, and they started to note that certain individuals developed Alzheimer's disease and others didn't. So they went back to their records, and they looked very closely at what they were eating and what foods were central to their diet. And they found a striking association. Those who were consuming a diet that was most rich in saturated fat had up to a three, even four times higher risk that they would go on and develop Alzheimer's disease compared to those who were consuming the least amount of saturated fat in their diet. And so that was a really interesting finding. They also found that those who consume the most of what, you've probably heard of this, everybody's probably heard a little about trans fat fat, and there was a lot of focus on it for some years, but a lot of people believe that it's been eliminated because they were sort of they were banned from packaged foods. But we still get exposed to trans fat with fried foods, so that's one thing to be uh, on the lookout for. As far as saturated fat, well, this is something we can address pretty easily because saturated fat is really concentrated in foods um, of animal origin, so beef, veal, lamb, fish, chicken and, of course, dairy products, that's where we end up getting the most dietary saturated fat. So when we fill the diet with more uh, plant-based foods, with leafy greens, fruits, vegetables, um, legumes, so beans and lentils, nuts and seeds, we bring the saturated fat levels way down, and and we end up also bringing into our diet all of these wonderful compounds we call antioxidants and anti-inflammatory substances that are shown to be protective. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. And there there was another study where they took individuals and they looked at the diet that they were following, and then they split them up into groups according to what they ate the most of. And then they took pictures of their brains using MRIs, and then they followed them for several years, and they took pictures again later on. And they found that the individuals who were eating the most of these same foods, that they were rich in saturated fat, fried foods, soft drinks, chips, things like that, their brains shrank hmm. at a much faster rate than the people that were eating the more healthful foods. And you might be thinking, wait a second, brain shrinkage, what are you talking about? Well, the thing is, is that our brains do shrink a little bit with age. But what we've learned is that in Alzheimer's disease, the brain shrinks at a highly accelerated Mm. rate, particularly a part of the brain that's what we kind of think of as the memory epicenter, the hippocampus, they call it. And so that's a telltale. Is, is that similar pictures.
1: to atrophy? You're having an atrophy of the brain, a bluesy brain, brain atrophy. Exactly,
2: same. So people same.
1: hear that and they don't know what that means. Seems, right.
2: Right. So yeah, atrophy, shrinkage, uh, sort of like you know, sometimes people can imagine if they've had a, an arm put in a cast and they remember the cast came off, the muscle had shrunken because right. of disuse, and so it's the same kind of thing is happening with the brain, and we know that. In Alzheimer's disease, we know when we look at the brains, they're they're shrunken at a at a much greater rate than someone who's um, healthy. So so you you
1: mentioned you mentioned fats uh, uh, as being one of the things we shouldn't be eating. And what are others? We talked about sodas. We talked about things that have. Has anything been related to like these sweeteners that, that contribute to Alzheimer's?
2: Not that I've seen yet, uh, as far as the um, the artificial sweeteners go, they're getting some bad press again, and I think there's, <laughs> there's good reason to, to avoid them. Uh, but but as far as specifically a relationship to to uh, brain health, I'm not aware of. of Had, have of they the mentioned sweeteners.
1: anything about white flour? Or you know, you, you heard about these various diets? You know, avoid white flour. Avoid anything yeah. white, right? White sugar, white, white flour. White
2: sugar, it, white flour. Well, I think generally speaking, because we know that um, we know that uh, when people have problems with uh, glucose metabolism, uh, pre-diabetes and diabetes, um, this can be a problem for the brain too. So we want to again eat foods in their whole, unrefined state as much as possible. Whole grains and um, fruits and vegetables and legumes, as I said. And, um, and try to avoid refined foods because these studies that keep coming up with these findings, they're typically looking at um, processed, highly processed foods. And, we, you know, there was a study just uh, early this year that came out and it said, you know, basically the more processed what the foods are in one's diet, the more likely they are to, you know, develop various health problems and to have a shorter lifespan. And so it's good advice to simply avoid processed foods as much as possible. And
1: and, and all the additives they put in there to keep it preserved. I mean, the, the tons of right. salt and the other particular items. But I do want you to mention, I mean, I've had people say, Gary, I'm eating more and more vegetables, and, and, I'm, and I'm feeling much better. But when I go out to dinner with them sometimes and they order all these vegetables, they put so much real butter on there, it's like, Wow. <laughs> You're defeating the purpose. I I didn't want to tell a lot of them, but I put very little if most of the time my wife doesn't like it. I don't put any, any, any butter on any kind of broccoli or asparagus. I mean, she says it's bland, but hey. Uh, and very, and I never add salt because most of them already have salt on it anyway. So it's right. It's boiled yes. in salt water most of the time, and it's to me it's salty enough.
2: So uh, well, you're you're right, and you know it's sort of like the the, the grand old baked potatoes. So well, I eat baked potato, and it's it's really good for me, and then it's got you know bacon and, and sour cream and butter and this and cheese and all these things, all of a sudden, this isn't a baked potato anymore. This yeah. is a, you know, a, a bomb of saturated fat and, and things that we don't want to be eating a lot of. So it's it's a good point that you bring up. We really want to eat things as close to their natural state, um, you know, not processed and and try not to doctor them up with all these additives and things.
1: And I, I hear I hear of individuals telling me, "Yes, Gary, I, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating more salads." And then when you go go with them out, they they put like five five uh, jiggers worth of uh, dressing <laughs> <Right>. on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like covered in dressing. You know, hey, what what can I say? Some people don't don't think further so socially active persons do have a positive impact of, of reducing alzheimer's risk
2: yeah this is something again that's very consistent in the scientific findings you know we're just we're social creatures by nature we're hardwired for connecting with others and our brains light up you know when we make social connections and even like a simple hug you know just hugging somebody causes the release of a chemical called oxytocin And that chemical, among other things, it helps reduce inflammation and it protects against depression. And those are two factors that are involved. You know, depression is a risk factor for um, cognitive decline and dementia. And inflammation is something that kind of gets more and more elevated as dementia progresses. Um, The more engaged we are socially, the higher our levels of another chemical called vasopressin. And vasopressin supports memory function. So we're really learning how important it is. There are all kinds of things that are going on that we may not be aware of when we feel connected to other people. And we're having fun being social um, and engaging with people. And there was a study of, uh, that followed about 6,000 participants over five years, and they found that those who had the strongest Social networks experienced about a thirty-nine percent reduction wow. in their risk of cognitive decline over the period of study. While those who were most socially engaged, really, really social butterflies, saw about a ninety percent reduction that they would experience cognitive decline over that period mm. of time. Mm. So it's it really is important, and um, there's a lot of different ways you know that uh, that one can uh, develop a more rich social life, you know, it can um, go to volunteer.com and find an organization they want to volunteer with, of
1: course. True. Keep active socially. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it's important. I'm out there. During the isolation of, of COVID-19, it was very dangerous, but luckily people got to Zoom. The uh, Meetings held. People got interactive. Uh, they walked around. They did exercise around the computer and, and on their Zoom, so some of them did did do okay. Others stayed isolated. They didn't want to do any of that as well. So yeah. moving on, I I found fascinating because I've had other guests on my show telling us the importance of sleep uh, is a risk factor for cognitive decline and dementia. And I I still feel Alzheimer's as well. Don't you feel?
2: Absolutely. It's it's the the evidence for this is is really growing each year. We're seeing more and more studies that are. Um, emphasizing how important it is to address sleep disorders, insomnia. Um, and, and there, there are a couple of reasons it seems why this may be so. It's when we're sleeping that our brain actually clears itself out of the metabolic waste that builds up during the day. So it, it uses cerebrospinal fluid and it just goes through this process of flushing the waste away. And, it's also during sleep when our brains consolidate the things that have happened to us that we want to remember and put them into long-term storage hmm. so if
1: I didn't remember that point okay go ahead
2: <laughs> yeah so if we're not if we if we're not sleeping well or our sleep is disrupted frequently through the night these two of these processes here can be disrupted and so there may be problems with forming new memories and there may be problems where well we all know how we feel after a lousy night of sleep kind of foggy that mental fog and don't ask me that question now (laughs) i I am up thinking clearly that may very well be because that waste wasn't cleared out so
1: in your in your research how many hours of good sleep should an individual does it depend on age or should it be overall
2: well, the sleep experts, you know, who study this and and, and really look at this, they, uh, believe we should get seven to nine hours. I know nine sounds like a lot, um, but some people do sleep uh, uh, that long. And some people, see it seems need to sleep more. You know, I have an internal clock that goes off at five o'clock. It doesn't matter when I went to bed the night before, you know, it just happens. But I feel great. You know, I feel rested. Um so I think, you know, aiming for seven hours and there's, a you know, quite a few strategies if someone's experiencing problems with sleep, they can um, address to try and improve their sleep. You know, one of them is um, addressing ambient light because we have these sensors in our eyes that even when our eyelids are closed, pick up light and that disrupts the release of Melatonin, which we know is the sleep hormone that helps us sleep well. And so, you know, in this day of where we all have so much technology around us, whether it's a a keypad for an alarm system or a cell phone next to the bed or TV on, some surveys have found a remarkable number of people sleep with a lamp on or a television on. Um, But these things can, again, interfere with the release of melatonin. So, trying to keep a dark environment if you've got street lamps that are invasive that are you know lighting up your bedroom you know you can use curtains of course you can use blackout curtains or simply get an eye shade and that will create a dark environment um noise is obviously an issue um if necessary if you live in an area where there's a lot of noise in the local environment you could wear uh, foam earplugs to try and um Uh, Block that out. Um, Another thing is caffeine. You know, um, whether it's coffee or tea, or sometimes even um, some of these supplements or food products uh, are having adding caffeine. um, Soft drinks like Red Bull and things like that can have enormous levels of caffeine, and this can be a problem for folks, especially if they're consumed late in the day. So I always advise people to, you know, drink your coffee early in the day or your caffeinated tea. Um, warm baths, another great thing um, to help relax and prepare for sleep. And one thing that comes up in the sleep research that's really interesting is the the room temperature. And there seems to be an ideal temperature, which is about 65 degrees. And so if one can cool the room, open a window, get some fresh air, um, that's said to be helpful as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information, but now in a word from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A Bears Town Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer.
0: The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM at
1: 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, The Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Eber's standing Country of Shreveport. Your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Mister Joseph Keon. I prevented it. Medicine specialist, and he's discussing his new book, a fantastic book that you should pick up The Alzheimer's Resolution. Again, his name is Joseph Keon, K E O N. You can pick up his book on Amazon and I'm sure at various bookstores throughout the nation. And uh, thank, you, thank you, Joseph, for joining us today. We only have a few minutes left in this show, but it's been fascinating already. Again, I've read his book, I highly recommend it. So continuing on, and one thing I found in your book that I have not seen many people emphasize is the correlation between hearing loss and dementia. Talk about that real quickly.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because, as you said, it's not discussed enough. And this is a um, in, and one of these factors, again, I call it you know an emerging uh, factor that we're getting more and more science about is that there's this relationship that if one has severe hearing loss, their risk for dementia goes up. And while we don't have it pinpointed exactly in terms of what's going on, there are a couple of things that are clear. One is that when someone has severe hearing loss, their brain, we talked about brain atrophy or brain shrinkage before, it tends to shrink at an accelerated rate. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so, so why is that happening? Well, we know that the brain's having to work harder – so we call that a greater cognitive load when you're struggling to decipher sounds and make sense of language when someone's speaking to you or you're listening to uh, a radio program or watching television. And they, the researchers believe that that causes a, a degree of brain fatigue, and it also takes away from the resources that are used to consolidate and form new memories. So this may be two of the important reasons We also know that as one becomes, um, as hearing diminishes, one is at greater risk of becoming socially isolated. True. I've got friends who um, have some challenges with their hearing, and it's hard for them to track conversations, and so they tend to kind of pull back, and or say, you know what, I'm I'm going to pass on this because I know it's going to be loud, and I'm not going to be able to really understand the conversation. And I'm always, you know getting come on you got to come <laughs> you got to be there because i don't want to see them do that i want to see them to withdraw socially um, and so it's something that we've we've really got to pay more attention to, to in terms of asking you know family members to get checked monitor their hearing
1: And everybody out there, you can get free hearing tests done. Almost everybody gives a free consultation to check your hearing out. And if you get a good result, it comes back, you have no problem, then it's good. But sometimes you never know until you get tested. You just can't say, can I hear or not hear? It's amazing, just like sight. You don't know if you're seeing the best in the world. Until you get you know an independent testing as well, just, just to bring a quick correlation, I just thought of something. You were mentioned in one of your studies in the book, and you talked about it a couple of minutes ago. That young people uh, during a study developed Alzheimer at a tremendous increase. You know the, that might be a factor of them going to rock concerts. I did when I was younger, and you know you heard tremendous speakers, and 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 yeah. I'm 73, so there was quite a few of those. That the young people now, the young people now. I still go to these concerts, and they're even louder, because I've been to a few of them lately. I mean, <laughs> I, I I definitely turn off my hearing aids, sometimes take them out and put earplugs. So, I mean, I have a feeling that is probably some of the contributions to some of this increased dementia and possible Alzheimer's. I think well, you, you, get, know, you fit on something. a
2: good point. Yeah, because it's not only the concerts, but it's the... Um, you go to a movie these days and I'm, I'm covering my ears because they've got it turned up so loudly and they've got so many different speakers in there to make it feel, you know, exciting and dramatic, but it's, it's, it's a problem. And we've got to protect our hearing. And, and then you've got the the earbuds of course, that go inside the ear canal, which are considered to be riskier than an over the ear, you know, kind of conventional headphone for listening to music. So, I think, yeah, I think we're exposed to louder, more different kinds of loud sounds. Of course, things like lawnmowers and landscaping equipment can be um, very high when measured in decibels and dangerous um, to use without some sort of ear protection. But I think that's, that's the thing, you know, we really, we wanna protect our hearing as long as we can, but then when we start experiencing the hearing loss, get it treated because the exciting thing is is that people who get their hearing treated see improvements in their cognitive health. They, They are able to process information better. They'll be able to understand the conversations, of course. They get more socially engaged. Again, there's a lot of benefits, not to mention, of course, just protecting the brain from the decline that often um, leads to dementia over time,
1: so in our closing, I have one more topic because I know people are interested in this one many for many decades we've learned that alcohol in moderation could be helpful in cardiovascular. Is it helpful regarding brain health? Is it research have shown anything about and, that
2: and this is you know I hate to be the the messenger on this one because people get really uh disappointed to hear this. But we're, we're seeing again many, many studies. Even one of them, I remember reading the researcher said, we were shocked by our findings because we've all been conditioned to believe that, you know, alcohol somehow may uh, contribute to longevity or protect us from cardiovascular disease. But what we're finding is it really doesn't offer any protection. And when it comes to, <clears throat> excuse me, cognitive health, it's a risk factor. And the more alcohol one drinks and the more frequently they drink it, the more of a risk that it poses. So the good news is that the alcohol producing companies are responding with wonderful alcohol free alternatives. You go into right. uh, restaurants and bars and they're offering mocktails that are alcohol free, but really delicious and and um, there's many, many products coming on the market, beers and wines and things like that, even spirits that are not alcohol-based.
1: Well, so, the, the other thing I want to mention to – you know, some people drink to the excess and they trip and fall and have other other factors, but they also get concussions and head trauma that could lead yeah. to, mo- to more issues regarding the brain and, and it's worth concussions, et cetera, right?
2: Exactly. Concussion is definitely a risk factor for dementia, we see it in um, war veterans who've been exposed to explosions and they've suffered concussion. They are at dramatically increased risk compared to veterans who were not exposed to those kinds of traumas and falling, hitting the head, etc. cetera. The brain moves inside the skull when you have a concussion and it can cause long lasting damage that we may not be aware of we may have initial pain and discomfort, but over time apparently it, it it's something that is not remedied and may again elevate risk over the long term.
1: Well, thank you, Joseph, for being on my show today. I'm looking forward to having you on a future show to continue this discussion. His book is called The Alzheimer's Revolution. It's remarkable. It's by Joseph Keon K-E-O-N. He's a preventive medicine specialist, and I would suggest you pick up the book. You'll have a lot of – today we just touched a little snippet about all the the things that he discusses in this great detailed book. So thank you again for taking time to be on our show. You were great.
2: Thank you so much, Gary. My pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening to this show. Hope you join us next Saturday for another show that benefit you and your loved ones. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show today. Best wishes to you and your family for a happy Thanksgiving holiday. I'm Gary Caligas, wishing you and yours the best of times voted in every day. Have a great day.